This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Episode 344 of the Doctor Who podcast. Joining me this time, I have Brent and Phil. Hi, guys. Hello, Ian. Hello, Brent. Hello. How's it going? Oh, all fine and dandy. That's what we like to hear. So, with the upcoming release of Season 22 on Blu-ray, we're going to have a little bit of a Sixth Doctor theme this time, which we haven't really looked at Colin's era for a little while. But before we dive into that, gents, you you haven't had an opportunity to, to talk yet about... The, the massive flurry of news that we had about uh, a month ago is it's kind of quietened down a little bit since, but I was just wondering what, what your take on the, the, the recent news flood has been. Uh, shall, shall I go first, Brent? Shall I go first? Because I've got, I've got quite strong opinions about this, actually. <laughs> ooh, ooh, we like this. Um, yeah, yeah. I think all the way through, the, there was these rumours going around that David Tennant and Catherine Tate were coming back and... You know, I was thinking, yeah, it was just a, just one of those fan rumours or people wishing it to be true. And then, and then, lo and behold, bang, the announcement comes out that they are indeed back and filming right now um, on the streets of Camden Town. Old Camden Town. Um, I don't think, I, I well, I don't think, I don't think this is a good idea, really. I, I am kind of over the whole David Tennant era of, of, of Doctor Who. And I don't really want to really see a return to it. I think it's just overshadowing Shooty Gatwa. Um, to be honest, I think that was the, you know, the big bit of news that came out. First of all, we've got a new Doctor. Um, still not entirely sure if he's the 14th Doctor or not. It's, sometimes it's reported as the 14th, sometimes it's the next Doctor. So, you know, the jury's out on that one. Uh, but then the announcement came out of David Tennant and Catherine Tate, and it's just overshadowed him, really, um, which I think is a bit of a, a bit of a shame. To be honest, I know we've got a long wait anyway. There's a long time to go before you know we see Shooty sort of taking over the uh, the TARDIS full time. But yeah, I'm I, I don't know. I know it's it's meant to be like a was it like a crisis regeneration? People assuming that's what it is. Is it an alternate universe? Uh, who knows? I'm I'm beginning to sort of like get beyond caring at the moment. I just want some straightforward t- storytelling. I don't want all this timey wimey multi universe stuff. I just want it to be. For my old adult brain, plain and simple. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, me, me and uh, James were very positive about all this last month, so it's great to be back onto our traditional DWP grumpy yes. old man territory. <laughs> Thank you, Phil, for bringing us back on track. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Brent? Uh, well, it's all in the wording, isn't it? Because uh, the press release says that these are, are scenes that will coincide with the 60th anniversary special, especially uh, the Yasmin Finney stuff said that was scenes um so uh remember when we talked before you know is is doctor who really going to give up the christmas and new year's special i i don't think they will and i think this will be that and i wouldn't be surprised if we get a couple of more specials next year leading up to the 60th um maybe with peter capaldi or even christopher eccleston because he said he would come back if it was just him and they could do a special with just him and have like, you know, the big bad or the big evil uh, sort of linking all of those together and being solved in the 60th with Shooty. That's that's my guess anyway. It's Destiny but, um, of the Doctors again. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, that's, I think that's the thing that there's it's so surrounded in mystery um, at the moment and, and people are. I thought sort of jumping to their own, well, not jumping, making their own conclusions, I should say, which I guess is a is a good thing. I think to take the positive from this, there is now buzz around Doctor Who again. Um, hmm. Now, admittedly, it's not really around right now around the next Doctor shooty. Um, it's around David Tennant and Catherine Tate. So I suppose from that point of view, you know, generating that buzz again, which has been severely lacking over the last few years. Um, I mean, certainly after. Jodie Whittaker got, uh, was announced as as the thirteenth Doctor. Um, though I guess really that the whole numbering thing is out the window now. 
it's just well, yeah, ne- that, that, that's yeah. what me and James were discussing yeah. last time is that it, it's worse than the unit dating controversy now <laughs> how do you number the doctors so <laughs> I, I think they're going to start abandoning the whole thing yeah I, I, I think that's a good thing to do actually because it just gets far too confusing I'll, I'll just confuse myself just just discussing it almost almost to myself there actually it was uh, yeah so um, yeah I, I say buzz is a good thing and which is it's just nice to see people excited um, about Doctor oh, okay there's always a few naysayers out there but um, but I think at the end of the day there's still another episode of Jodie Whittaker to come in which I think has bypassed everybody they're just skipping forward you know they seem to be missing the, the centenary episode coming later this year and, and jumping straight to the, the RTD2 era of Doctor Who but um, yeah let, let's see what happens with Jodie first I think is probably let, let's not get it, uh, too ahead of ourselves I think it's easy to get excited but uh yeah, let's 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 finish off this era before we look forward to the next one. Well, b- b- before we look off to the to the next era, we're, we're now going to transition to looking several eras back. So <laughs> we we have uh, season twenty two, Colin's sort of only sort of traditional season coming out on Blu Ray shortly. The other one being obviously being Trial of a Time Lord, which is unusual. Um, so we're, we're going to look at two stories from the Sixth Doctor era uh, to, to sort of uh, get a, a flavour of Colin's time in the role. And we're going to start off right at the very beginning with the twin dilemma. So from one regeneration uh, discussion, we're going to go straight into another one. A dear child, what on earth are you complaining about? It's the most extraordinary improvement. I'm what? My last incarnation. Oh, I was never happy with that one. Why ever not? Oh, it had a sort of feckless charm which simply wasn't me what absolute rubbish you were almost young i really liked you and you were sweet sweet effete sweet 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 that says it all oh but this has been a timely change now the reason i picked this one is i've not actually seen twin dilemma since original broadcast back in 1985 i think it was Wow. Uh, I've never gone back to it once. So I thought, you know what? It's it's coming up on, you know, 40 years. I should probably give it another try now. <laughs> so <laughs> enough time so, has passed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Brent, what are your thoughts on on Colin Baker's first outing as the doctor? Well, uh the big bear in the room is the um the regeneration and how Colin was such a different doctor and a lot of people did not like this story because, you know, he throttles Perry at one minute. He's hiding behind her and blaming her and things. He's just um, not a nice guy, I guess. Especially, uh, it wasn't really a good choice to introduce your character that way at the end of a season. And then people had to wait to see what this Doctor was going to be like. But, um, you know, the regeneration goes a bit wrong, but... That's what the entire story was about, I thought. And, um, well, that's it, really. It <laughs> <laughs> always feels like damning with faint praise there, Brent. <laughs> oh, oh I've, I've got good points and bad points on this one. But, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm... Yeah, did you know what? I, I, it's been a long time since I last um, since I last watched it myself, actually. But not as long as Ian. Um, as that, that, not, not, you know, not nearly 40 years. Uh, but, um, yeah, it... <sighs> It's another sort of typical JNT kind of thing. It's one of, one of these sort of like publicity stunts where it was to have a um, a doctor regenerate before the season ended. So you know the the, the last of that season was your new doctor, um, and I think his reasoning behind it was you know you saw that person regenerate into the new doctor and you had to wait a whole year or however long it was before you saw them again. So I thought this was you know, I thought this was a good idea to do it but as you said um because the story wasn't particularly well received um and i think it just had the unfortunate um sort of issue of coming after the case of andrezana which is one of the most beloved doctor who stories and it, you know it's very highly regarded even at the time of transmission so when the twin dilemma came after it and you had as you said this very erratic doctor wanting to throttle perry and one of acting like a madman then he was cowardly and you know it's you know regeneration gone wrong it, it, it did leave a bit of a uh, a sour taste in uh, in people's minds so yeah I, I don't know if it was such a i don't know it was a bold experiment but i'm not entirely sure it it, it paid off really 
but I mean that that's just my my initial take rather than sort of getting into the the nuts and bolts of the story itself um I think the I think that's why people just turned against Colin right from the off. It was that horrible outfit as well, which didn't didn't help matters <laughs> either. It just seemed it just seemed to tick all the wrong boxes um, to to you know to set up a a new uh, a new Doctor's era. You've both just uh, voiced why I've never watched it again since original broadcast because I was a relatively new fan when this came out. You know, I jumped on the train. I mean, I've been seeing Doctor Who since the Tom Baker era, but I jumped on the fan train just before The Five Doctors. So season 21 was my first proper... I'm going to rec- I did all the VHS cassettes of every episode and, you know, was was recording it all. And I loved the, the Peter Davison era and I loved his characterization. And you had some really solid stories, you know, Resurrection of the Daleks, Caves of Androzani, and then this. And I, I can see why it was seemed to be a interesting choice to let you actually experience the new actor uh, at the end of a season, which has never been done before. Was that William Hartnell? I can't remember. William yeah. Hartnell's one was a bit odd as well, wasn't it? Mm. But I I really don't think it works. And it doesn't work on so many different levels. And I think it's more than just the post-regenerative shock. Yeah, we're we're going we're to look at Time Lash again uh, later on in this episode because we're hitting all the highlights here. And <laughs> you can blame that one on me, listeners. <laughs> you know, and, and that's a whole season later. And honestly, his characterization wasn't that different, I didn't think. It wasn't quite as random and variable, but it wasn't that different. And, you know, I remember them saying that there was a deliberate choice to try and uh, go back to the, the characterization of the first Doctor, the irascible, almost anti-hero character who was grumpy and, you know, used to snap at Chesterton and things like that. And, yeah, I, I can see why that was seen to be a bold choice. I think it's a very fan-centric choice. You know, it happened again with Capaldi and I think to similar effect. But as a person watching the show, suddenly from, you know, your hero character that you totally identify with and follow, you've got this really quite unpleasant, uncharismatic, grumpy, violent person who's just not enjoyable to watch on screen. One morn, a peri at the gate of Eden stood disconsolate. Who wrote that? I haven't the faintest idea. Of course you don't. You don't even know what a peri is, do you, peri? No. I'll tell you. A peri is a good and beautiful fairy in Persian mythology. The interesting thing is, before it became good, it was evil. And that's what you are. Thoroughly evil. Doctor, stop it! No. No, not even a fairy. An alien spy. Sent here to spy on me. Well, we all know the fate of alien spies. And... Not only that, he's paired up with Perry, who was in full-on whiny, terrible American accent mode. (laughs) And then, you know, in the opening scenes, you then cut to the two twins who are just obnoxious, you know, really obnoxious characters that, frankly, you just want to kick them out of an airlock. (laughs) And, you know, there's just nothing to like in this. And I remember being just so crushingly disappointed in it as a fan at the time. And then, yeah, you have this crushingly disappointing story and then nothing for a year. You know, if it had been the first episode of of season 22, at least you had had another opportunity to try and, you know, get back on track the story after. But we were just left hanging. So for his whole first year, Colin's reputation was not good. And I don't think he ever really recovered from that. No, I, I do. I do agree. Actually, I think they just didn't really know what to do with his characterization. Or I think really, I know we're sort of skipping around a little bit here, but I think overall they didn't quite get a handle on the, the Sixth Doctor and Perry's relationship. Certainly not on the on the television. Um, as we all know, Colin Baker came into his own on Big Finish, really, where they sort of treated his Doctor uh, with, I think, with a... And, and, and also his companions as well, with a bit more respect with, you know, you know in the writing um, and the characterisation. But on the TV, they never seemed to sort of quite get the hang of it. And, yeah, as you say, yeah, Perry's in full-on whiny mode, um, which... That sort of flip-flopped all the way through the time she was with the Doctor as well. Um, and we'll come on to that a bit later when, when we, we talk about um, about Time Lash. But, yeah, I think everything about this 
it it's just just seemed to scream this is the end of the series therefore we've kind of run out of money um that there's there's a couple of decent model shots in there as well um of the a of the that their base blowing up um, on the asteroid that looked pretty cool um and then also the spaceship landing in that hangar later on then in the couple of episodes after so that that was again it was a nice model work from the bbc but it just the makeup looked cheap the sets looked cheap um I mean, as you say, the, the costumes just didn't look great either. Uh, I think the there wasn't a lot of time spent on the story, as you say. I mean, the, the, there's no real characters to root for. Not even the Doctor in this you were really rooting for, uh, to be to be fair. Uh, it's just... And as you say, the twins, uh, Romulus and Remus, who I, th- I think I, I've compared them before to look... They look like a young Phil Collins before he joined Genesis in the 1960s, <laughs> actually, so... So that's exactly from his flaming youth days. I think was the band he was in. So um, yeah, I mean they. I mean they're as wooden as the sets they're standing on. They they really are. Where's mother? Uh, she is busy. Does that mean she isn't talking to us? No, she's just busy. We would like to see her. She isn't here. She's gone out without saying goodbye. Well, yes. I suppose you're going out as well. In a few minutes. Abandoned again. You, we forgive father. But not mother. Look, Romulus, I wish you would be kinder to your mother. You too, Remus. Why? Well, she is your mother. Because mother happened to give birth to us, does that automatically grant her a place in our affections? Yes, yes, of course. Respect must be earned, father. Mother is a fool. You know that. Do you now wish us to respect fools? You've always said the contrary. Your mother is who she is, whether you think her a fool or not. It's no excuse for poor manners and lack of concern. As you wish, father. It's just not very, very good. And I, I think... Colin Baker's, you can tell he's trying really hard to pull this off. You know he really wants to make this happen because, you know, he wanted to be, you know, the longest serving actor in the world. He wanted to beat Colin Baker, uh, sorry, Tom Baker, sorry, um, which never, which never, never came off for him. He was never given a proper chance. And I think this, this story straight out of the block, it just ruined it for him, I think. And and that's some people never really forgave, unfairly him. To, to be fair, they never clicked with him, um, which I think is a shame because I, I actually think he's actually a very, very good doctor when he's given the chance. I understand why people have a hard time with this story. I personally, I don't think it's as bad as some people think. Like there are a few redeeming parts. Um, to me, the regeneration goes a bit wrong, but that's what the entire story is about. You know, will the doctor be stable enough to get the job done without everybody getting killed? Um, and Colin plays it great from the start, I thought. Um, Nicola, however, hmm, will, uh, <laughs> she's, um, well, on with the good stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the death scene at the end of Asmiel, that was really well done. That was, that was probably the best part of the whole story. Uh, as far as the costume, I always look forward to what the new doctor was going to wear. Uh, we sort of get that with the modern series, but the outfits back then were really more costumey. So every time the Doctor regenerates, there's always that scene where he's trying to pick out what he's going to wear, and you think, "Oh, what's he going to? What's he going to pick?" You're not serious. I'm always serious. You can't go out dressed like that. Why ever not? You look dreadful. Oh dear, that is what people said about Bo Brummel. Remember him? Oh, he had taste, a feeling for style. And I don't. Not if what you're wearing is an example. It's... Oh, yuck. Romulus and Remus, they didn't bother me. They're just snobby kids. And um, uh, so they didn't They didn't bother me too bad. Um, Kevin McNally was in here, and he was great as Lang, but he spends most of his screen time unconscious. <laughs> After Perry talks him asleep as the re- resolution to the episode one cliffhanger, which I thought was particularly strange. <laughs> right, right. But the bad things, if we want to talk about that for a bit, uh, very weak cliffhangers. Mm. Um, you have a crash zoom on Colin. You have the second part with Perry's bad acting uh, with the horrible fake crying. Oh, that's horrible. That's terrible. Uh, and then part three ends with another crash zoom on Colin saying, Perry. And Colin, Colin's a great actor, but he doesn't have a great surprise face. He just looks like he's just had an embarrassing accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> 
but those are probably the the worst things to me was um uh to be honest just perry's acting and um yeah those uh those cliffhangers were terrible the, the, the cliffhangers were I, I i noticed that as well that the cliffhangers and the resolution of the cliffhangers was was really poor yeah um, yeah, yeah and there was there's a lot of illogical i mean this is doctor who so the plot doesn't always you know no, no. proceed along like a sherlock holmes episode but there were some big leaps and some weird stuff. I mean, I, w- I mean, I was, I'd actually was completely oblivious to Kevin McNally being in this, and was suddenly surprised. Oh wow, because I, I really love him as an actor, and suddenly seeing him so young. But yeah, he's criminally underused. Randomly wanders into the TARDIS costume room for some reason to get changed. Manages to find the only costume worse than Collins that just happens to be the one with the gun power pack in the pocket, and it's. None of this is making any sense. And there was far too much of the story, particularly around when they get to Mester's planet, and they just seem to be wandering back and forth for no particular reason. And you thought, well, what, why are they doing these things? What's going on? It just, it was, it felt really, really padded. And Mester as a, as a, the big bad in the terrible costume, you know, he just looks cross-eyed all the time and that really immobile face. And, it, it, you know, it's the worst cliches of old Doctor Who monsters. And yet he's supposed to be the focus of the, the, the evil in this episode. And I, I think that's the big problem I have with this is that nothing really fires. So, you know, you've got a dodgy characterization of the Doctor. You've got some dodgy acting. You've got some dodgy storytelling. You've got some dodgy concepts in general. There's nothing for it to sort of redeem itself on. You know, if it was just... That you know, maybe I wasn't used to Colin's characterization, but it was a really strong story, or vice versa. That gives you something to work with. But I mean, again, coming back to this all these years later, I still, I was really struggling with this. I was finding it a real chore to get through this. Um, it, the you know P- Perry. I mean, and you know, I I want to like Perry. I really want to like the character. She's great later on in the big finishes. I mean, we said a lot about. Actors of this era, but in this, she's just really obnoxious, and you think, why is she even staying with the Doctor? Why does she want to? They seem to hate each other. Um, her accent is atrocious. My, my wife actually walked through while I was watching this, who's American, and she'd stopped and went, "That's the worst American accent I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> you know, yeah. and there's, there's, I just can't find anything really to like about this uh, across the whole story. Just n- none of it really hung together for me, or made, I just didn't enjoy it. You know, it didn't make me enjoy watching it. No, I think the I think the other thing as well. I mean, don't forget the the the, the Jacondas, the Chicken Men, uh, as well, which I think is probably some of the, the one of the worst realised uh, sort of alien races we, we've had in we've had in Doctor. And I, 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 I dare say people will argue with me on that point, but um, it just didn't look. It just looked cheap. The whole thing just looked just sticking some like a beak and a few feathers on their head. Um, well, across between chickens and owls, really. I don't know what the hell look they were trying to pull off there. But um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. And as you said, uh, in you know, you've got Perry being obnoxious and the Doctor being obnoxious, and and they're your heroes. That that's not a good way to. Well, it's just not good television, really, is it? When your your heroes are both obnoxious, you've got no one to root for, have you? And you know what really jumped out at me actually at one point is the incidental music. And it, it's got that sort of very sort of synthy, clanging, dark music. Right, his time is up. I shall contact Mestor. Too late. He's got them. He's coming now. Lock them in the bunker. At once. And it, I, it, I found it powerfully reminiscent of the music from Resurrection of the Daleks, which is one of my personal favourite stories. Mm. Uh, and which is not surprising because it's the same season. And it really brought home to me that's just like three episodes earlier. You know, we, we've just come from Resurrection and Caves of Androzani. Uh, and, you know, Planet of Fire is a good story as well. Mm. The same team, the same creative team, the same people made this literally three stories after Resurrection. And you can hear that in the incidental music. Whereas in my mind, these things are just a million miles apart. You know, and, and you know, I, I would high, hold up both Resurrection and Androzani as being, you know, highlights of the entire classic run era. 
and then we have this so soon on the back and a story that you really needed because of all that weight of expectation that you're putting on it that this is the intro for Colin and it's all he's going to get for the first year they really needed to knock it out of the park with this and the team clearly could but somehow they swung and missed on this yeah big time big time well, yeah, I was going to echo what you said about Malcolm Clark's music is one of the few highlights about this story. It's great. Uh, you have that scene with Colin and Perry earlier on where he is still a bit confused and he says Braveheart Tegan and she's like, who's Tegan? And you hear in the background uh, part of the Tegan music when she's leaving at the end of Resurrection of the Daleks. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, so then, yeah, there's the odd nice pickup. I mean, we got the second Doctor's coat, and we've got the third Doctor's. I mean, there's some nice bits as a fan, but overall, I have a, a strong suspicion it's going to be another forty years before I, I watch this one again. <laughs> <laughs> you may not believe this, but I have fully stabilized. Well, I suggest you take a crash course in manners. You seem to forget, Perry. I'm not only from another culture, but another planet. I am, in your terms, an alien. I am therefore bound to have different values and customs. Your former self was polite enough. And at such a cost, I was on the verge of becoming neurotic. We all have to repress our feelings from time to time. I suggest you get back into the habit. And I would suggest, Perry, that you wait a little before criticizing my new persona. You may well find it isn't quite as disagreeable as you think. Well, I hope so. Whatever else happens, I am the Doctor, whether you like it or not. So, from Colin's first outing as the Doctor, we're now going to jump forward to his Big Finish era, with James and Michelle looking at Jubilee. You must get some rest, Miriam. It's a long day tomorrow. Yes, a long Long, glorious, exciting, wonderful, marvellous... Miriam, that is enough. Doctor, I can't believe you just said that. Oh, did I put my foot in it again? What's that? We can play with you gently or play with you until you break. You have no right to pride. Well, the TARDIS doesn't seem to agree with you. She's trying to move again. What's wrong? Well, she can't. For some reason, she's stuck here. Stay where you are, Evelyn Smythe. Like it or not, you will be my ally. Doctor, the doors. They can't decide whether to stay open or closed. Get out, Evelyn. Good friends, you and I. You are my prisoner. Sleep tight. <laughs> Take care of the Daleks, don't buy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, dear listeners, to another chance to dip back into the Big Finish canon and uh, tie in with this Sixth Doctor episode. Uh, thank you to Ian and Phil and Brent um, for your commentary. And yeah, you have James and I now uh, in the camper van, and we are going to be looking at a fairly early Big Finish story, Jubilee by Rob Shearman. Are you doing anything important? Just talking to the Prime Minister of America. Hello, Madam President. Oh, hello. What is this one's name, darling? Do you know I cannot remember? <laughs> hello, out there. Are you looking forward to the Jubilee? Yes, Madam. We have a huge firework display in its honor. I hope you have lots of bunting in the street. Colored bunting, there's nothing like it. Indeed we have, Madam. I love bunting. Hang it just right and it is even better than fireworks. Yes, well, it wasn't particularly difficult to come up with a Sixth Doctor audio story uh, for this particular episode, given the fact that we've just gone through our own jubilee, as we recalled just over a week or so ago now. And uh, of course, the uh, celebrations on the mall and throughout central London with lots and lots of Union Jacks flying. Bunting. 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 Bunting, indeed. Yes. Felt just like Rob Shearman's very, very dark version of the United Kingdom in Jubilee. I can't imagine you picking a less festive 
story uh, for which to, to tie into the Jubilee. I hope your Jubilee celebrations were absolutely nothing like this this story by Rob Shearman. Although there were Daleks. There were Daleks walking down the mall. There was a um, a pageant or a ceremony. I'm not quite sure what the correct way of describing it is, but there was basically a bunch of British stuff paraded outside Buckingham Palace uh, on the Sunday, and uh, part of that celebration was a number of Daleks. So, well, that is that is ironic because Rob Shearman references the British fascination with Daleks as a cultural heritage in this very satirical mm. uh, take on a jubilee. And in this case, in the story, we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of. Uh, the defeat of the Daleks by the British people, along with what will become in their minds the superhero, the Doctor, and his lovely assistant, Evelyn Smythe. And in fact, the Daleks have become, <laughs> in the story, they have become a cultural heritage which is celebrated. Anything with a Dalek on sells millions, especially in the Jubilee year. I suppose I should exercise some quality control. But it only demonstrates how much the English peoples love their heritage. You've taken something which is wholly evil and merchandised it? Where do we start with this one, James? <laughs> well, I'm going to start possibly with a very, very easy um, introduction to say this is one of my favourite Big Finish stories. It is, it is so unique. Colin Baker sounds very much like he did on television. Uh, these days he has a much more gravelly voice, obviously, that comes comes with age. So this is a very, very recognisable Sixth Doctor. Features Evelyn, who I absolutely adore. Uh, in fact, I've not met any fans of the Sixth Doctor's audio stories um, who, who dislike Evelyn Smythe. It's got a beautifully sickly oh what's the word bleak macabre. depressing macabre yeah all of those words that you would associate really with um rob shearman's writing not doctor not, <laughs> not doctor who writing but general writing is a fascination with the weird the dark the, the the depressing goodness knows what the inside of rob shearman's brain is actually like or how mm. it works but um it, it all comes together in a wonderful story uh, that I don't think has ever been matched or equaled. Uh, there hasn't even been another story similar to it in, in the, what, 20, 30 years the Big Finish have existed. It's um, it's an absolute delight uh, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. And um, I, I love the story. Interesting that you should say that. I agree with much of what you've said in that this is an extraordinary story um, and really extraordinary in the sense of being outside and beyond anything ordinary. I think there have been very few big finish stories that are as bleak um, or as pessimistic uh, as this one. Um, I do think it is a fascinatingly, mesmerizingly well-written story. Um, but it, it, when you say that you find it a delight or, or you know very, very enjoyable, I kept thinking as I was re-listening to this, it is a good story. It is well written and well crafted, and I don't enjoy it. It's just too. It's just too dark. That is, and that is not a criticism of the story. It's just in listening to it, I was like, "This is making me miserable." And I've already there is enough misery in the world right now. Oh, I do understand. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's not a totally alien perspective, as far as I'm mm -hmm. concerned. Uh, but but I think a lot of it. Is, is because so much of the commentary on how society functions in this story and what's led to the dreadful society that they all live in is so recognisable in our mm -hmm. in our own worlds in 2022. So this was released in January 2003, so 20 years mm -hmm. ago. And, and particularly towards the end of this story, some of the comments about what drives a society and what leads a society to destruction in many cases and, and how it all falls apart mm -hmm. could quite equally have been a description about how society has kind of broken down. And I use a random example in America last year where you saw riots at the Capitol. And, and, and that's a, an alien concept. The whole idea that that kind of thing could happen in 2022 is is um it's not quite dystopian but mm -hmm. it's it's mm -hmm. almost mm -hmm. bordering on the fantastic mm -hmm. yeah it's it's it would have been i think unthinkable 
for anybody other than Rob Shearman, maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> and, and, and Well, absolutely. And, and this perhaps is why you find it difficult to enjoy such it a is. brilliant piece of work, because it's no longer science fantasy, is it, or science fiction? This is almost borderline documentary. Yeah, it, it hits too close to home. Um, it, it, um, it's like at the height of the pandemic, it was difficult to listen or read fictional stories for me about pandemic. <laughs> you know, um, it was hitting too close to home. And may- maybe that's true for this. Um, the, the story is kind of summed up in a way, at least the themes of it. And, and, and this is near the end, but, but it talks about humanity at its worst and that we are capable of the atrocities we dream. The Daleks were genetically engineered to see all other life as a threat. Human beings are different. Humans have a choice. The race I was describing was not the Daleks. What excuse do you have? And that is chilling um, and, and all too frequently true. Um, yeah. These days, it seems like, um, and that the, the evil that men do echoes forever. That's another line, um, and and so it is. It is um, perhaps in that sense, it is necessary commentary to have this kind of biting sarcasm, um, which, as you have pointed out, is becoming less and less far fetched. Um, but it is. You know, it is one I would encourage folks to listen to, I guess, for that point. But it's not one that I think I can bring myself to revisit all that often Mm. because it's, you know, there are no likable characters in this except for the Doctor and Evelyn Smythe and possibly the Dalek. Yeah, I was just (laughs) going to say the Dalek, the one Dalek, because bearing in mind, listeners, this is the source material uh, for the TV episode called Dalek in Christopher Eccleston's one and only series. But... The, the the concept of having a single Dalek who doesn't receive any orders and therefore starts thinking for himself uh, is pretty much the only thing that made it into uh, the TV version of this story. This this, this entire concept um, in on audio is played out far far slower in much more detail. It's a series of character pieces. So if you really like those small little scenes that are only really completely effective on audio um so the 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 exchanges between the doctor and evelyn uh between a couple of daleks in episode i think it's four um you know normally conversations between daleks are absolutely dreadful to listen to uh, uh, and not to mention a bit painful on the old ears Uh, whereas this particular conversation between these two Daleks is Dalek who is questioning his place in the universe and why he doesn't automatically want to kill Evelyn Mm -hmm. you know they're absolutely enthralling they're compelling do you know why you have been summoned I am one of two things you must decide which explain i am the only survivor either i am a traitor and must be exterminated or i am the only one with the knowledge to save us and which are you traitor or savior Daleks come across on TV, particularly in some of the um, Christmas specials we've seen them in over the last few years, as as essentially video game enemies. Um, That is so far removed from the way the Daleks are portrayed in this story. Uh, They are like Daleks for adults, (laughs) if if that makes sense. Well, Well, which brings up a point that Nick Briggs is doing a wonderful performance as these Daleks that have more, particularly the one who has been imprisoned and alone for 100 years and has gone half insane and there are strong performances all around there's not a weak performance in here including martin jarvis who of course was in vengeance on varos and uh yeah i I agree it's a stellar cast it's a wonderful story it's extremely bleak uh it's very cheap now which is another good positive uh facet i think it's two pound 99 in the uk and i assume it's two dollars 99 in uh in the states 
Uh, you'd be mad not to invest in this if you haven't already. <laughs> Completely mad. Yeah, and you may be mad after you've listened to it. So <laughs> Yes, and if you are, then put your insane ramblings into an email and let Michelle and I know what you thought of the story. Feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com. And on that note, Michelle, I think we should hand back over to Brent, Ian and Phil. <laughs> So from the end of season 21 to near the end of season 22 and coming out soon on Blu-ray is Time Lash. Now, Phil, you picked this particular story for us to go and revisit from the the whole pantheon of of Colin Baker stories you could have uh, dipped into. (laughs) Why Time Lash? Well, I thought, as you know, we're we're doing the the twin dilemma, which isn't very high regarded, as we've previously discussed. Um, I thought, well, okay, let's see if we can reevaluate the other... Um, sort of hated story of Colin Baker's era, Time Lash. Um, and I mean, fortunately, I say fortunately, it's only a two part story with it, but now we're into the era of the 45 minute episodes. Um, and I've got to be honest, it went a lot longer than I wanted it to, put it that way. Um, <laughs> and I think we, we, we talked about um, during the Twin Dilemma discussion about the, the Sixth Doctor and, and Perry's relationship. Um, and it's quite telling um, on the. Because um, I looked. You know, watch it on the the the, the DVD that we've all got at the moment, rather than the you know the highly anticipated Blu-ray version. So the uh, the making of uh, documentary on there, the scenes in the TARDIS were were tacked on, and there's a lot of bickering going on. Does nothing please you? Yes, purposeful travel, not aimless wanderings. Aimless. You see our time together as aimless? No, not exactly. I I guess not. I hope not. Or perhaps you're trying to tell me you've had enough. In that case, I can easily set the coordinates for Earth 1985. No, no. That won't be necessary. They reached a point where they were sort of, their relationship was mellowing out across that, across season 22. And both of them said they read the script and they're back to bickering again. And Nicola Branch, she said, it's one of the worst things she's ever done. I mean, that, even she says it, it's terrible. So um, I, I kind of feel for them in this one, really, because it basically did it because it was underrunning. The, 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 the episodes were underrunning, so they just tacked on this bickering uh, piece in, in the TARDIS. So I think it probably did them, a, at that point, a bit of a disservice. So, so again, it's a bit of a... Again, their ratio is a bit of a mixed bag again. Um, so, and... but. Throughout the story, Perry gets nothing to do, but from the usual Perry thing, uh, the bad guy, the boy, lusts after her, uh, wants her to be her, his bride. She's tied up. You know, it's, yeah, so far, so so Doctor Who of the, of the 1980s, really. So it's uh, so that's disappointing. Um, again, unfortunately, it, it looks really, it's really cheap. Um, Colin Baker gives it his all. I've, I've got to be honest, he gives it his all. Uh, the, <laughs> sorry, the her, the Herbert character, as you find at the end, is H.G. Wells. I, I do not believe for one moment that H.G. Wells was like Adric. I I, I, I really don't. <laughs> Ooh, you know, gosh. so um, just scampering around the set, getting into scrapes and trouble, and not doing as he's told. And oh, I don't know. Um, but however, I do think the saving grace, and there's another couple of good points as well. But I think the big saving grace in this is Paul Darrow. Um, who is going wildly over the top, giving it his best Richard III. Where's Perry? You promised a safe return. Ah, yes. Well, you shouldn't believe everything that people tell you, Doctor. You gave me your word, you microcephalic apostate. I demand to see the Borad immediately. Admit defeat, Doctor. Never! (laughs) The stories I've heard about you, the great Doctor, all-knowing and all-powerful, You're about as powerful as a burnt-out android. (laughs) Our ruler has finished with you, once and for all. We can't do this, Tesha. Shut up, or you'll be joining him. You're as warped as your dictator, friend. Save your breath for the time lash, Doctor. Most people depart with a scream. The vortex is ready, Merlin. Dispatch the Doctor first. I read somewhere uh, on, on the internet this week a term for his term of his style of acting, and it's called darrowing. 
And he's given it the full-on <laughs> darrowing in this one. He really is. Um, it's the big sweeping arm gestures, the... Um, that 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 staccato style of talking, like Richard the Third, it was it's oh it's it's fantastic. He, he's he's mes- I think it's mesmerising to watch because it's so over the top. Uh, he knows exactly what he's doing. And to me, it lifts the story because which I think is awful. <laughs> I think this story is much worse than Twin Dilemma. Oh, it is. At yes. Least Dil- <laughs> yeah. At least Twin Dilemma was entertaining. But uh, this one, you, you're talking about Paul Darrow overacting. Uh, I heard Colin talk once about the story, and he said that he had played uh, Bayban the Butcher on Blake Seven, and basically outacted everyone, you know. Mm. And so when Paul Darrow had the chance to return the favor, he made sure that he gobbled up the scenery when he was on Doctor Who, and that's exactly what he did here. <laughs> <laughs> I think he gobbled it up, spat it out, and gobbled it up again. Actually, I think that was yeah. 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 Oh god, yeah. Now, I also haven't seen Time Lash for a very, very long time. I don't think it's from first broadcast, but it's possibly not far off. It's, it's certainly probably twenty years since I last saw Time Lash, and I'd pretty much forgotten it. So it's quite interesting to come back into this. I have to say, I had almost exactly the opposite take to you, Phil. I actually quite liked this, with some reservations, mm. uh, and I actually found it fairly enjoyable. Yeah, you're right. Perry and the Doctor are bickering again, and again, you think, why do they even stay together? They just don't seem to like each other at all. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I really liked Herbert. I mean, he was basically the companion for this story. (laughs) You know, Perry was off, you know, being chained up and menaced by a giant glove puppet. Um, And Herbert was the companion. He did most of the companion role in this story. I actually quite enjoyed him. I thought it was fun. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, he had a little bit of humour about him. He was not at all like Adric. I thought. I thought that was a low blow. <laughs> you know. I mean, the thing about Herbert was he was actually, you know, enthusiastic and you know, smiling and enjoying himself, not moping around like a teenager who's been told to go to his bedroom as Adric so often was. <laughs> well, the the doctor was telling him to get out, get out under my feet. That's what he was saying, all the way through. Get out of my feet, you annoying little twerp. Go away. <laughs> I'd hate to think of. You having my demise on your conscience? To be perfectly frank, Herbert, when I go, thoughts of you will be very low on my list of regrets. That's good. It means we can stand together, shoulder to shoulder, in the face of the enemy. I've always wanted to die a hero's death. You know, it's funny. When I was at school, everyone used to think I was a coward because I didn't like cricket. If only they could see me now. Shut up. Sorry? Oh, yes, of course, you want to concentrate. Sorry. Listen, Herbert, if you want to do something useful while waiting to enter Valhalla, could you read off the numbers on that screen you'll see immediately in front of you? Of course. This one. How many screens do you see immediately in front of you? Just the one. That's the one. I mean, the thing I did remember about this story was Paul Darrow. And, you know, who doesn't love Avon in Blake 7? So I was really looking forward to seeing Paul Darrow really, you know, save the day and be, you know, here's the best thing about the story. And actually, I really didn't enjoy him in this. I didn't enjoy him at all because he was absolutely chewing up the scenery to a ludicrous extent. <laughs> and his, his character was so one-dimensional that, you know, it literally he needed a, a, a moustache to be twirling. It appears that diplomacy has failed. Yes, indeed. Rather like you and your starving planet, Ambassador. <laughs> and, and then didn't really achieve very much. You know, he was just there to be a chuckling, you know, maniac. Didn't actually drive any of the, the bad guy's story forward at all until he abruptly gets zapped by growing a conscience out of nowhere having previously been a complete psychopath and then just gets aged to death out of nowhere i thought his character was inconsequential didn't really do very much and was a a, a terrible misuse of, of of an actor whose other work i really really enjoyed so i was totally underwhelmed by by paul's uh, performance in this which i was really shocked by because i was expecting to enjoy it a lot more than i did well, that's the thing. I think that's why I enjoy it so much because there's nothing. When a, for me, if a story is is flagging somewhat, and for me this this did, I just didn't, that just didn't really gel with me at all. Um, he became my focal point because because he was chewing the scenery. But I think and he, and he he knew damn well what he was doing as as well. And that and that's what I liked about it. He didn't give a damn. He just went for it. Um, even to the point where I think J and T. 
I said, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm giving it the full Shakespeare. Well, don't, I think was the, <laughs> <laughs> so was the, was JNT's reply. But no, he just went for it. And, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. I, I, I just love it when someone knowingly gives an over the top performance. I think it's when it, it was really tongue, I mean, not tongue in cheek. It was coming through his cheek. I think really, it was so firmly embedded. Uh, yeah, he knew exactly what he was up to there. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much, because I think the rest of it, the Rebels were flat, one-dimensional, boring characters. I mean, I think the the original, I can't remember the name of the character, but the, the original Malin's daughter, um, she had one facial expression all the way through it. That's the one that Herbert took a shine to. Um, yeah. yeah. Throughout the, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, I can't remember the character's name. Um, but she had one facial expression. Um and then it was Vera or Vina? Vina Athena, that's right. I think, I think it was Vina. Um, but then, right at the very beginning, you had um, I don't know if you're familiar with this actor Stephen McIntosh, um, a yeah. very young yeah. Stephen McIntosh in this, um, who's gone on to, to doing multiple other, other things now. Uh, but um, I mean, he was given his best David Bowie. Come, uh, he's given his little speech before he was, he was chucked into the time lash, uh, which I thought was. Again, I don't, I don't know if he's trying to channel David Bowie or that was just his style of acting back in 1984, whatever the hell it was. Um, yeah, so it, it was, it's just, I think it's just really bizarre. I thought the the, the robots were, um, or the android things walking about, okay, an interesting character design uh, for an android. It, it was different. So was the vocalisation of the androids as well. Macross, return immediately to the inner sanctum for an emergency meeting. Shouldn't I have been informed? Maylin, you are requested to attend the Borad. It just didn't seem to match the, the imposing figure of, of the angel or the actor, did it really? This sort of high-pitched, um, sort of squeaky voice. Maybe, maybe that's what they were going for, I don't know. But then but then you get, as you say, you know, the, the Morlocks in the cage, which is a great big sock puppet. Then you get another glove puppet in the form of the band drills as well, uh, which... Yeah, really poorly realised. Really poorly realised. Uh, so, yeah, I th- that's that's why Paul Darrow is the saving grace for me for, th- for this story. And uh, of course, the time <laughs> lash itself, which is just like a, you know, a, a branch of Woolworths at Christmas, just just full of cheap tinsel. It's just <laughs> <laughs> so. So I have a question, really quick. Uh, the blue android was there just one, or were there several? There were several. Several. Yeah. Okay, okay, because that was one of my bad points is because the doctor pushes him into the time lash and the next scene where he's back with the Borat, but I guess it was actually, a different one. I actually thought yeah. that was quite a neat little scene because uh, earlier in the episode, you'd seen the rebels escaping from their, their underground base and randomly there's a burning android yeah. out of nowhere and no attention is drawn to it. It's just there. And then later on, you discover that actually that android gets blown up and gets sent back in time and appears there. And I thought that's actually quite clever storytelling. You know, that's something that they've done in the modern series with, you know, the jacketless doctor and stuff like that. Mm. And I thought mm. and, and I thought the way they underplayed it and didn't, you know, lean into it particularly well. I thought that was actually quite neat. That was I thought some quite sophisticated storytelling going on there. I mean, don't get me wrong, this is not, you know, a heady height story, but I don't think it's as bad as its reputation. In fact, I enjoyed this substantially more than I enjoyed Twin Dilemma. Up until the point when having finished it then started again and got a second ending, which uh, the, the ending of this, I thought, was the, the, the really tough part because the whole scene with Colin Outsmart <laughs> in the Borad using the time shifty thing, it was a nice idea, actually, and it was nicely conceived, but as it played out, it was just slow and there's no particular action, there's no pace to it, the music's not there. It's just, oh, come on, pick it up, pick it up. Yeah. Um, and then the same thing happens with the destroying the missile thing, which just goes on and on. And we have some long, thoughtful conversations with Perry. And we have some long, thoughtful... And, you know, it's one of the things actually I hate. You see it in a lot of TV shows now where, you know, there's this... Well, we saw it in, in, in Flux where there's, you know, terrible, imminent danger. Oh, I will God, just have yeah. to stop and have a little character moment for a, for a 30 seconds now. Well, even though the clock is running. Yeah. So that, that, so that was all just really dragged out. And I was thinking, oh... They've dragged out this ending and they've really taken the uh, the energy out of it, and then they do it again. You know, the, yeah. the Borad comes back <laughs> yeah. through techno babble for one one last you know farewell tour, and yeah, I I, I that that I thought was the, the weakest part of the whole story was the last. I mean, it felt like it needed to be 
you know three episodes worth, but possi- <laughs> possibly because they um, were doing it in in two extended episodes, they couldn't give it that cut. So it felt very very padded towards the end. But you know up until that point, I thought it was actually quite good. I was enjoying it. I, I thought it was decently put together. So some some of the the production design choices, you know, yeah, there's a lot of tinsel going on, were a bit weird. But it was different, and and they were clearly going for a different look. The androids, I I thought, were actually quite effective and did look different. Things on voices, not so much. Same with the band drills. But again, so many Doctor Who monsters sound exactly the same. So mm. you know, I'm I'm not going to you know go over the top if they decide to do something a little bit different. The main thing I thought that was a bit odd was they never addressed where the time lash actually goes to. I know they sort of talk in the abstract that it's dumping people in Scotland in 12, whatever it was. Surely there should have been some pickup of what happens to all these poor souls that, are, that have been dumped down there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they talk about the Borad, you know, being Nessie and paddling about in Loch Ness, but which I thought was a bit of a stretch. Um, but, you know... Did the doctor not go and rescue the others? Did, did we not hear about them? That that felt like a, a, a bit of a glaring omission to me. Yeah, as you come on to the, the Borad, I did. That's one of my sort of good takeaways from this. I think was the um, he was quite chilling, and I thought the makeup was very good um, on yeah. him. Actually, I thought it's a fantastic bit of makeup. I uh, really did, uh, and I thought he's the use of his voice as well. He, he just had that very sort of calm, malevolent tone to his voice, which I think worked really well. Pale, lady. You repulsive, <laughs> perhaps, but I have a hundred times your intellect, the strength of twenty gardeliers, and a life spanning a dozen centuries. What? What's happening? Where's the Borad? Imbecile! I am the Borad, and I do not tolerate disloyalty. Another election for someone who's just sort of just sitting in the chair for the majority of the story, uh, just to use his voice without screaming and ranting. You know, he he could have easily become another Davros, really, but he wasn't. He was sort of yeah. very sort of malevolent, and I I did like that. I've got to be honest. I I, I did think his his performance was was very very good. To to be to be fair to it, I mean that's that's a that, that's that's a positive I, I would take away from this one. <laughs> and, and the old guy with the, the cables at the back of his head, who was the sort of the fake dummy, that was I thought that was nicely realised. Yes, nicely Dennis Dennis Carey. Uh, Dennis Carey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I um, what was he was was it Pro- Professor Cronotis? Uh, yep. From I have to remind me the name of the Shada. Thank you very much. And also was the the uh, keeper of Traken as well, wasn't he? he was keeper in that. of Traken. Yeah. Yep. So it's uh, no, he was good. Yeah, he he was good as well. Oh, that two two good things to take away from. Oh, three if you if you count Paul Darrow, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> what about the beekeeper outfits for the for the, 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 the mooks? <laughs> I had a list of uh, terrible things about this story and, and some. Some of them are um, some of them are production issues, but uh, things like I, I thought most of the characters in here were pretty much cardboard, uh, except for um, Herbert. I, I was a fan of Herbert also, and especially the Borad when um, he has that big scene at the end talking with Colin, and he's he's uh, you know his name is Magellan, and gives his backstory and everything. I thought that was uh, that was a good moment, but. Screaming Perry was incredibly annoying. Uh, the girl in the beginning gets shot, and she grabs her stomach before she's shot and falls down. <laughs> um, uh, the doctor escapes at the end and never explains how he did it. And the Borad was defeated by a lack of self-confidence and is now the Loch Ness Monster, which I thought was kind of silly. That actually reminds me that that whole end sequence where the doctor... Basically, did to the Borad what Sylvester was going to do to the lead Dalek a couple of seasons later, in Remembrance of the Dalek, and kind of talk mm-hmm. it to death. I yeah. was really uncomfortable with that whole sequence because basically he was body shaming the Borad for yes. being ugly yeah. and, and right. talked him into suicide through, you know, you're so ugly and everyone hates you. Show yourself to Perry. If she doesn't scream, the wedding can take place. What is this foolishness? I don't think you've got the nerve. That's right. The woman 
will accept me once she is as I am. Make up your mind. Do you want her dead? Or as your bride, if the latter, then show yourself to her. No. Don't I have a say in all this? Of course not. Be quiet. Why won't you? I shall when I am ready. As I thought, you're afraid. <laughs> of what? Rejection. You can alter Perry's outward appearance, but you can't change the brain in her head. Whatever you do, she will always find you repulsive. <laughs> then I shall put out both her eyes. Come on, you guys. That's hardly an elegant solution. And the way you've been carrying on, you're not going to win her over with your charm. Stay back. You really are afraid. My last warning, Doctor. The possibility of perfect companionship shattered because of your grotesque, ugly excuse for a body. Okay, we're looking at this with modern eyes and there's a much bigger sort of uh, view on this sort of thing. That struck me as being really problematic, actually. Now, now, now I watched it again because that's just not at all a, mess, a positive message you want to be getting out there to people. Quite the opposite. True, true. yeah, yeah. It, I must admit that that sort of struck a call with me as well because it was that whole thing of, well... Um, you know, he's basically winding up and saying, you're deformed, that, you know, and, mm. and kill yourself. And it's it's not, you're right, I think you're spot on in, it's not a good message to put out there. Even in, I think even in 1984, I think that was a, a pretty, not not a cool thing to do. It really wasn't, especially on a right. on a, a children's stroke family show. I really, I really don't think yeah. that was cool. Basically, only two good things for me uh, was, the, like you said, the Borad's voice. Really, really well done. I uh, liked his voice. And plus, this was a previous unseen adventure with the third Doctor and Joe, which I don't know if it's if it's ever been picked up by Big Finish or any kind of book or anything. I don't know if you know. It's mentioned in somewhere. Was it the Sarah Jane Adventures or something like that? That, that it has been picked up somewhere. Oh I right, I okay. Exactly where. Yeah, because I just because it was weird. You had that the 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 rebel with the locket round her neck with a picture of Joe Grant and a lock of her hair, as well, which I thought. Okay, that that's sort of come out of nowhere, um, and and then the the very bad John Pertwee portrait hiding behind the, which also was hiding a mirror, um, as well. So um, another plot contrivance there as well. Um, but apparently that the the, the crew or the the cast really didn't know anything about the John Pertwee thing. It, it was just sort of there on the day. They thought, what's this? It was it was another uh, another Jane T bit of world building. I think, to, to hmm. be honest. But uh, whether it was successful or not, I don't know. It was just, I think when I watched it back, in the day, I thought, oh, wow, it's the third Doctor. I didn't think anything else of it now. You know, and, you know I saw it at the time. But um, but now, maybe it's just shoehorned in a little bit just to give a bit of a, a call back to, to third Doctor and Joe. I don't know, which again, we didn't know anything about the story. So, and it didn't really elaborate on it either Mm-mm. within the context of Time Lash. So it just sort of went, well, kind of nowhere. Well, our, our Colin Baker retrospective has not perhaps been the most positive way of looking at his era because we have picked two of the not highlight stories. Although, you know, again, c- coming back to these after a long time, Twin Dilemma has lived up to my low expectations or lived down, I suppose. But I have been pleasantly surprised with Time Rush. I mean, it's problematic. It's, it's got its issues. But actually, I didn't hate it the way uh, Phil certainly does and many other fans seem to. I thought it was a an average you know, passable, workable episode. And, you know, I, I didn't actually quite enjoy uh, watching it. Yeah, it's, it's nothing to do with Colin Baker himself. I, I think it was just, it was so unfair, I think, what happened to him. And, you know, I yeah. like him as a doctor. And I think, you know, after all these, you know, the way the BBC treated him as well and, you know, refusing to come back, he's you know, to do his regeneration. Um, I mean, fair play to him, really, that he was treated really, really shoddily by the BBC. But, you know, give the man... You know, a round of applause, really, because you know he's been such a good ambassador for Doctor Who over the years. You know, he's he's been nothing but you know nothing but praise for it. Really, it's just that that ending. Um, and when you you know for him, and when you hear him talk about you know the plans he had um, for you know for his time in the TARDIS, you know he was really up for it. And I I think you know he's really poorly so I, I do feel really really you know really sorry for him. Um, but I mean, thank God for big finish. You know, you know we've you know we've I think I I picked Timeless. I thought maybe it's time for a reappraisal. Maybe it's not as bad as I remembered it to be. Unfortunately, it didn't work out like that for me. But I still love <laughs> I still love Colin Baker. I th- I think he's great. I really do. Yeah, agreed. With season twenty two coming out, you should definitely pick them up. 
perhaps don't start with Time Lash. Maybe <laughs> start with one of the other ones in the episode. And as ever, absolutely go and listen to Colin Baker and the Big Finish audios because that's really where he shines. And indeed, Nicola Bryant's Perry as well. They both shine way, way yeah. brighter there yeah. than they do on these not brilliant stories. Very true. Yeah, totally agree. So on that, thank you very much, gents, for this little sort of uh, rundown memory lane. And uh, we will be back again next month looking at... Oh, we, I don't know what we'll be looking at. It'll be a voyage of discovery. <laughs> so, thanks, Phil and Brent. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Ian. Great to talk. And uh, we'll be back with you again soon, listeners. Bye-bye. Bye for now. See you next time. That was the Doctor Who Podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Take care. Thank you to brew and brew. <laughs> and you tell me that I combine a pair of them. Brew. I think we should hand back over to Brent, Ian and Phil. Unless, of course, you have anything else, you know, massively insightful to say at the end of this review. No. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking about the state of the future if we've got Brent, Drew and no. Brent, <laughs> we've got Brent, Phil, and Ian at the helm of the uh, camper van, but uh, I, we'll be all right, right? Tell me we'll be all right. Well, let's find out. <laughs>